So glad that you're in church this morning. Oh man, it has just been one of those weeks, y'all. I am getting so excited to get closer and closer to occupying our brand new building. And uh, yeah, it's exciting times. God's been faithful. Uh, many of you know our goal is to raise $250,000. We're up to 63000 already. And so we are doing great. Uh, thank you so much to all of you who've already given towards the offering, uh, big, big building offering. If you're waiting, I know me and my wife, we're waiting until December to give our offering because on December 4th, we're going to have a special service where that day we come before the Lord and give a sacrificial gift. Like in the Old Testament, they would bring offerings before the Lord and it was a holy moment. Usually like you have a prayer request you're believing God for or there's something you're trusting him with. And so December 4th is our sacred Sunday. And uh, we got a message just last week from one of our friends and fam members. We have people that watch online, you know, different parts. We have a couple that's gonna fly up from Florida to give their offering on that sacred Sunday. And so I think it's so cool that there's people from all over wanting to get involved and just just God is faithful. That's all I gotta say. My hands are off the wheel. It, isn't that much better when you just let God be God? You be you. That's how it goes good. So if you're new to our church community, though, welcome. So glad you made it. If you're new to church or a religious space, this is where you want to be today. Uh, we believe that we, we, together we can accomplish more than we can individually. And for the longest time, I used to think my own spirituality was up to me. Like, I got to pray. I got to read my Bible. I got to be a good Christian. And I started realizing once I got in a group of other people and we started talking about it together, asking questions and applying it to our lives, it became a lot easier. And so if you were nervous coming to church today, you can breathe because we are in this together. Turn to someone, say together, together, together. If they didn't smile at you, maybe get a new seat. Turn to someone else and say together, together, together. Amen. Hey, I'm excited to get into the word today. If you have your Bible, go to Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17. And uh, next Sunday, we will have uh, some more news for you when our first Sunday in that building is going to be. Um, so next Sunday or the following Sunday after that may be our last Sunday. We don't know yet. Uh, we are working with the village of Fredonia and building inspection. And so if they're watching, shout out to the village. We love y'all. Um, <laughs> yeah, we love you. Um, whatever you need, if you need anything, let us know. <laughs> but um, we are just patient. And so uh, I know that everyone's excited out of this theater, but we're grateful for the staff here, grateful for the owner here. And so we're going to finish our time well and start that next season well. Exodus chapter 17, when you got it, say, I got it. Uh, we are in the middle of the wilderness with about two and a half million people. Uh, this guy, Moses, has rescued them out of Egyptian slavery, and now they're just wandering. They're tired. They're frustrated. It's only supposed to take 11 days to get from Egypt to where they want to go. They know that. They know that this journey shouldn't take that long. And three chapters after they crossed the Red Sea, we pick it up in verse one, and it says, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? If you're a leader, you know this tension of having followers upset with you. 
You know this tension of people having an expectation on you, whether it's in your job or your family or your kids or your relationship, and people expect you to make something happen for them. Today, we're going to talk about what's it's like when these people come to Moses and they say, we need water. The title of my message today is, The Water is This Way. The Water is This Way. Let's pray. Father, help us today. Thank you for your spirit in the room. God, without you, this is just motivational speech. This is just a cute talk. But with you, it becomes transformational. We don't just need good words today. We need life change. So we thank you for your spirit in our midst. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. All God's people that are ready to get out of the theater said, amen. Okay, I just want to make sure. Um. Ladies and gentlemen, for the last couple weeks, couple weeks, we've been actually in this series for almost two and a half months. Uh, we've been in a message series called Road Trip Music. And this started as a message series through the Psalms. Some of y'all remember that about eight weeks ago, we jumped into Psalm 120. And we started talking about the Psalms of Ascent and how in the Bible, there is one book called Psalms. And within that one book, there's 150 different chapters. Consider this like a playlist, 150 different tracks for a hot, one big CD called the Book of Psalms. And what we've been learning as Christians is the maturity of your faith is not how well you believe something, but it's what do you say and sing as you're going through something. I know a lot of Christians will say, thank you, Jesus, when everything's great, but when their money's looking funny or they're a little bit behind on some things or they're stressed out about things, it's like Jesus goes out the window. I've been there before. I've been a pastor on Sunday and I've needed a psychiatrist on Monday. It's just the reality of life. We go through stages of ups and downs. And what determines our faith is not like, you know, are we always, you know, everything's going to be fine and positive. But what do we sing? What do we say when we go through things? Several weeks into the series, we shared the news that we had acquired some land and now we're getting ready to move into a building. And I was getting ready to go into like a different series. I want to go into marriage and start working on some relationship stuff. But I felt like God wanted us to finish off our time here through the story of Israel on their way to the promised land. I feel like, like a lot of us, Israel was hoping to get somewhere, but wasn't doing so well with waiting. Can I be honest? I don't do good with waiting. Um, I, I like my coffee to be made fast. I like my Amazon packages to get here fast. I like the traffic in Fredonia to go fast. Y'all, there's like two lights in the whole town. But yet there are times where I'm behind 15 college kids, like, don't you know how to drive? It doesn't matter how well and how fast we want to get somewhere. It's how do we carry ourselves along the way? Like, what good is it to say you're a Christian, but along the way to your destiny, you're stepping over people that need you? Like, what good is it to be so focused on your dreams, your destiny, your purpose, that as you're on the way, you just neglect the people that might need a touch from God themselves? I've been learning this as the pastor of this church. God can do more along the way than we can just trying to get there by ourselves that sometimes he even teaches us more through the journey than he does when we get to the finish line. I think that's what makes this wilderness story so amazing is not that they were trying to figure it out on their own, but even in their confusion and in their wandering, God was with them. As they struggled in the wilderness, as they came to Moses, and y'all heard the sarcasm, did you just bring us out here to kill us? As they went through that, it's not like God disappeared. Can I encourage someone today? Yes, you might have made some bad mistakes. Yes, you may be in a place that you've never been before. But can I tell you that you believe in the God of the universe? He exists everywhere. 
So there may be times where you feel like your behavior made him leave you, but he loves you too much. The Bible says once you know his son Jesus, he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Meaning that even when I struggle, he's standing right there saying, come on, one more step. Even when I cycle and go through the same habits and the same things and go right back to the same display of poor faith in my life, God still stands there and says, I'm right with you. I think that's what makes Christianity different. Christianity is different because our God walked among us before we ever chose to walk with him. Think about every other religious idea today. There is so much about you must choose, you must go, you must ascend, you must discipline yourself, you must do all this work so you can connect with God. But yet Christianity says our God walked among us before we even wanted him. Romans chapter five actually says that while we were still sinning, he died for us. It's one thing if he was gonna say, all right, once you stop messing up, then I'll die for you. But even as you were messing up, he determined in his heart that he was gonna pay the price. That's love right there. And my life has is, been always about now just responding to that truth of what he did. The Christian life is not a list of do's and don'ts so that you can quote unquote be a good person. The Christian life is simply a response to what he did. Oh, can I simplify it for some people in the room? You're looking for joy. You're looking for peace. You're looking for all these things. It's not going to come through doing more. It's going to come from first recognizing how valuable you are for the creator of the universe to give up his only son for you. I feel that. It's important we recognize that the story of God, the story of the Bible is not all the things that people did. It's the story of God choosing to be with his people. It's the story of God inhabiting the praises of his people. There's actually one story in the Bible where the angels are talking to each other. This is Psalm chapter eight. And they look down at man and they look at man and they say, what is man that you are so mindful of him? Like the angels were looking at you and I and they were going like, why do you keep messing with them, God? Because even then to the angels, his grace was scandalous. It was amazing how he still looks down and he desires relationship with us. So Moses, as he leads the people, he's only going to be able to lead as well as he himself is being well, as much as he is willing to be led himself. Does that make sense? He's only going to lead the people as well as he himself is led by God. Exodus 33 says this, that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As one speaks to his friend, Exodus chapter 33, think about that relationship. Moses has got such a connection with God that when they talk about his relationship, they say like, like a friend, like Moses was God's friend. They would talk face to face. God wants to be friends with you today. Like he's our king and he is our Lord, but the Bible says he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's why I used to sing that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus because the connection of friendship is so different than the connection of lordship. He's our Lord, but I hope you don't miss this. Sometimes we're afraid to come to Jesus because we don't think he likes us. We don't think he wants to be with us. And coming to pray, coming to the church, it should be like going to a friend's house. There should be a sense of, I know who's there. I know whose house this is. I know what the point of this place is. So when I come, I'm coming to connect with him as a man speaks face to face with his friend. 
That's the beauty of knowing God. And especially in a day and age where we're looking for what we need, prayer is essential to a connection with God. Uh, No man or woman is greater than their prayer life. No man or woman is greater than their prayer life. The things that God will call you to require you to check in with him sometimes. He's going to say, I've got a blessing for you. All right, yes, God, I'm excited. But he's going to say, don't don't forget to come back and check in with me every day. Don't forget to come and thank me for what I've provided for you because you will only be as great as your connection with God. You with me? So the next is chapter 17. Let's, Let's get back to all this. God is leading the people through the wilderness. They come to Moses and they say, we're thirsty. And let's see how Moses responds. Verse four, Exodus 17. It says, so Moses cried to the Lord. This is what I do when people come to me and complain about stuff in church. First thing I do is I go to God and I say this, what shall I do with these people? (laughs) Isn't that what God is for to just vent? Like some, some, some of you want to go off on some of your coworkers, but... Go talk to God first. Vent it out to God. What, 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 what should I do with this guy? What's the deal with this thing? Help me out with this. He says, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people and take with you some of the elders and take in your hand the staff in which you struck the Nile with. Can I, can I pause here for a second? Before Moses led them out of Egypt, uh, y'all remember the plagues? Remember, there was 10 plagues that God brought through the hand of Moses to convince Pharaoh to let them go. One of the plagues was Moses took his staff and he struck the Nile River. And when he struck it, it, what did it turn to? Turned to blood. Crazy, crazy moment. Can you imagine this? Just comes up, dips the staff in the water, and the whole thing turns to blood. God is reminding Moses of that moment right now. He's saying, take with that stat, take with you that staff in which you struck the Nile and go. And, and before you, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and people will drink. And Moses did so in the, the sight of the elders. So the people are thirsty. God tells Moses, grab that staff, hit the rock. Moses hits the rock, water comes out of the rock. When I get to heaven, I want to see this. If they recorded this, if anybody got a clip of this. Because I just want to see what, like, did it burst out? Did it seep out? Like, did the water, like, what, what was it like? Because water is very important in the Bible. Water is, is a picture of a lot of different things, okay? Here's a couple things water represents. First of all, water always represents eternal life. The, 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 the idea was when Jesus hung on the cross, and he died, they pierced his side. And the Bible says water and blood came out. Blood to pay for our sin, water to give us eternal life. Okay, that that, that was a big moment in the Christian faith. So water represents eternal life. It also represents the word of God. The prophet Ezekiel talks about how we should be cleansed with the word of God. Imagine your soul is like your hands. When your hands get dirty, what do you do? You wash them. When was the last time you washed your soul? When was the last time you just let the word cleanse you and strip down all those things that might be building up inside of you? And lastly, water represents the spirit of God. When we seek, can I teach for a second? Go ahead, Billy. Okay. Um, When we see water in the scriptures, it is a picture 
of the Spirit of God. I want to show you John chapter 7, because this is a moment in Jesus' ministry that a lot of people will read and they'll think, oh yeah, this is a big moment, not a big deal, whatever. But there's so much more happening than meets the eye. John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, on the last day of the feast, this was a Jewish festival that Jesus had gone in Jerusalem for, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is a big deal in the middle of this festival for Jesus to basically just stand up and make this proclamation. Okay, the, the, the Jewish festival uh, at the time, what they would be doing is outside of the temple, there would be these steps. And there was a custom that they would pour water during this festival from the top of the temple steps and it would go down the water. And they would quote like Haggai, they would quote like Psalms, says as the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the earth, may the glory of the Lord fill the earth. And, and they would watch this water come down and they would say, yes, you know, so the Jews understood this water thing that was happening. So this is a big festival for them. This is a sacred moment. And all of a sudden here comes this carpenter's son from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like th this wasn't a good neighborhood to come from. Like he walks up, he stands on top of the steps where the water is flowing. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me. Instantly, the religious teachers would have been, what? He's claiming to be God. Just by saying, come to me if you're thirsty. Just by saying, you're invited to drink of this well. He was likening himself to, God, to the same level as God. And so in that moment, the Pharisees, they were very thrown off. They didn't see the significance of what was happening because Jesus was showing them what was about to take place. In Exodus chapter 17, Moses strikes the rock. And I think it's incredible because water came out of that rock. John chapter seven, Jesus says, if you come to me, water is gonna come from your belly. It's gonna flow from you. Jesus is our rock. Bible says he's the rock of ages. He's the cornerstone. He's the solid rock on which I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He is our rock. He is the foundation of our lives. And get this, when he was struck, water came out for our salvation. When he was struck for our sin, salvation flowed from what he did. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to give you four things about what happened and why Jesus was struck for you and I. Why did he really die for us? Why, what, what's the real issue behind all this? You know, I was talking to somebody recently and I said, you know Jesus, right? And he says, oh yeah, the guy that died for me. And, and this is just some guy at Upper Crest, some random guy. I said, you know Jesus, right? You heard about Jesus? He says, oh yeah, he's the one that died for me. And I'm going, oh, there's gotta be more than that. It's gotta be more than just, he's the guy that died for me. It's gotta be more than just, I'm going to heaven now. It's gotta be more than just, I don't feel so guilty now. It's got to be more for why he died for us. So number one, Jesus was struck, first of all, so we could find salvation. Jesus was struck so you and I could find salvation. Isaiah chapter 55, verse one. This is the scripture that Jesus was just referencing in John 7. 600 years earlier, here's what was happening. The prophet says this in Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? 
Listen diligent to me, eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. The prophet says, come, those of you that have money, come, buy, eat. But then he also says, he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. It's almost as if the prophet speaks to two different kinds of people. He speaks to the person that has no money. They broke and they know it. But he still says, come. And then he speaks to the person that might have money, might have comfort. And he says, is that really satisfying you? Come. doesn't matter your place in life. The invitation's the same. Did you know that? There was a moment I was uh, back in Palm Springs. This was years ago. Randy had to go to her job for a second. And I had about 30 minutes to kill. And so I dropped her off at the bank and drove to our local mall and I had a book with me. And so I was going to sit down, you know, just outside of the mall area. They got a nice little seating area in the desert and I was just going to read a book. And so I sit down and I'm reading a book and this, uh, this African-American guy walks up and sits down next to me. You could tell he was homeless. You could tell that, you know, he was wearing clothes he had probably slept in and, you know, he had like a little bag with him and just kind of sat down a few chairs over from me. And I'm sitting there reading a book about Jesus how to minister and how to share the gospel with people. And as I'm reading, it's like the Holy Spirit's telling me I need to talk to him. I'm like, nah, I'm way too focused reading about Jesus right now. Why would I actually, I got to read, you know, I got to study. It's funny how we'll wiggle out of stuff. A couple minutes go by and finally I just couldn't shake anymore. So I just said, hey, how you doing? He goes, good. I said, "Uh, do you need anything? First question I asked. Because I think sometimes we try to reach people like with this bait and switch gospel. Like, hey, you know you need Jesus, right? And then it's like, yeah, I do need Jesus. Okay, well, I'll help you if you're going to let me pray for you. And he's like, well, just ask if they need help. You don't even have to say it's about Jesus. Just ask. So I just say, hey, do you need anything? And he says, yeah, I'm pretty hungry. I go, you want some food? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you know, I've been craving some Thai food. I'm like, okay. Thai food. I'm like, okay. So, you know, I, I, I go and get the Thai food. I think his name was Duncan. Let's call him Duncan for now. I say, okay, Duncan, I'm going to go get the Thai food. And so I just go, I get two boxes of Thai food. I was a little nervous about the Thai food myself, but whatever. I said, you know what? I'm going to get it. We'll try it. This is going to be a story to tell. And so I grab the, the two things. I come back and I sit down. I go, here you go, Duncan. And, and we just, you know, he opens it up and starts just chowing down. And then I put mine off to the side for a second. He starts telling me he's been homeless for like eight months and starts telling me a story starts talking about how, you know, God has been good to him though. And that even though he's been out there, the the God's been with him and all this stuff. And it was like this, he's like preaching to me. And so as I'm sitting there talking with him, this other, you know, older white man walks up, maybe like 75 years old. He walks up with his candy and he looks and he says, man, that food looks good. And I say, yeah, this is my friend Duncan. He's eating Thai food. And he goes, oh, good to meet you, Duncan. And then uh, the guy just says, man, I go, is everything okay? And he goes, no, I just, ah. And I'm like, what is it? I was just talking to my friend Duncan here. He wanted some food. And now we're talking about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And he's like, hey, yeah, yeah, the guy died for me. And, you know, I'm like, okay, you know. So we start talking. I said, well, what's going on? He goes, I just haven't eaten in three days. And I go, well, what do you mean? He says, three and a half days ago, I became homeless. And I've been sleeping outside for the last three days. Like 75-year-old man with a cane right there. And so I'm thinking, I got this. Got this extra box of Thai food. And I go, well, it's pretty funny you say that. This guy's name was Vincent. I said, it's funny you say that, Vincent. I got an extra box of Thai food for my man Duncan here. Do you want it? And he looked at me and said, no, I should be able to take care of myself. I said, no, seriously, like, I'm a little nervous about eating Thai food. Like, you know, you can have it. Like, please let me bless you with this. And he says, no, this is ridiculous. 
And he just kind of started grumbling. He said, I, I can't believe this. And he started saying, you know, my family should have been there for me or my boss never should have done it. And as he's walking away, he's just grumbling to himself. Never took the Thai food. And right before my eyes, Isaiah 55 was fulfilled. There was Duncan who was broke and he knew it. And he said, let me get some Thai food. And then there was Vincent who was broke, but he was too prideful to show it. Not knowing that what he needed was right there. Jesus was struck, friends, so that no matter what side of the coin you come from, you're broken, you know it, or you think you got it all together, we both need a Savior. We both need Jesus to give us new life. Uh, Sometimes I think people think, you know, Jesus came so we could have church. No, he came so that we could be the church. He came so that we could have life, so that when we do meet people like Duncan and Vincent, we don't have to say, well, do you want to come to the movieplex on Sunday? Right then and there, we can say, how can I show you Jesus? How can I be a good vessel of who he is and what he's done in my life? Can I go a little further? Still here? There's a New Testament scripture where Jesus is walking on the shore one day and he sees these fishermen and they're fixing their nets. It was broken. Their nets were broken. And he says, hey guys, drop your nets and follow me. And they do. It's a beautiful moment. And then the very next story, he goes on and he sees two more fishermen. These guys are throwing their nets and they're catching fish. And Jesus says, drop your nets and follow me. What's the principle? Both people in a different place of life. One's got broken nets and they know it. One's over here succeeding in life, but maybe for the wrong reasons. Jesus calls both of them to come underneath his lordship. Today, no matter where you're coming from, Jesus is calling you to come to his lordship and know who he is. So Jesus was struck so we could be uh, find salvation. Number two, Jesus was struck so we could be whole. Jesus was struck so we could be whole. It took one night to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get the thinking of Egypt out of the people of Israel. You can get saved in a moment, but still struggle for the rest of your life. I'll go further. You can be saved in your heart, but still jacked up in your mind still lost in your thinking. Anybody been there? As the pastor of this church, can't tell you how often Mondays are just a day of just like, it's almost like a hangover for me. You know, there's all this prep and prayer and, you know, leading up to today. And then I feel like the the word gets delivered. Then Mondays I wake up and I'm like, oh, exhausted. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It's just that like I've, I've poured it all out. But even then, there's times where my thoughts go so far from what I know to be true. So you can be saved in your heart and still lost in your mind. When we understand this, Jesus died for us not to just get healed, but to get healed and stay healthy. We don't need just another breakthrough message. I can teach you how to get out of the wilderness, but I'd rather teach you how to live in the promised land. You follow? We can give breakthrough message. You can do it. You can do it. But if there's no accurate principles to staying in the promised land, it'll just be another quick fix. The prophet Isaiah says this, Isaiah 53 verse 5 Speaking of Jesus, it's a beautiful passage. Got it tattooed on my back. The Bible says, Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. This is Jesus. This, this, is, this is your king, your God, acquainted with grief. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to lose a job. He knows what it's like to have a split He knows what it's like to have people misunderstand you. He was acquainted with our grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces because he was despised and we esteemed him not. The prophet basically says, no one thought this guy was God just because he didn't look like God. 
They were like, his face was, there was nothing attractive about Jesus. There was nothing in his physical form that made people say, oh, you are worthy of worship. Because if it looks like it, we'll always do it. But God checks the heart. He was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Here it is, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the chastisement upon him brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are what? Healed. Next time someone's sick in your life or you yourself are sick, you go to Isaiah 53. You say, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed today. No longer can sickness have a hold on me. People still die from sicknesses. People still, you know, lose life from things. I've prayed for people to get out of the hospital bed and they don't get out. I've prayed for people to live and they die. But the moment you start thinking that healing is something you can fathom, that's when you stop believing God for it. Because healing is beyond something we can understand. I remember a cancer patient in our church, her name was Linda. And uh, Linda and I connected. She was probably in her 60s when I was 25 and, you know, ended up journeying through chemotherapy. She heard I was a cancer survivor, heard the treatment I had gotten. We were on the same kind of treatment plan. And so I used to go visit her in chemo. And every day on Facebook, she would send me a prayer. I pray for this. I pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Real short, every single day. And I remember going with Linda to pray for her and she didn't get better. And they moved her to hospice. And from hospice, she's still sending prayers out. I pray for this today. Thank you for this today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll go see her one more time in hospice. And I just remember sitting there confused because I was like, I prayed for you to be healed and now you're here. And she grabs this notebook with all the prayers she had prayed and she gives it to me. And she says, Pastor Billy, healing, I am going to be healed in a way that you can never understand. And Linda went on to be with Jesus And today we took her prayers. There's 365 of them. We have a PDF document called Linda's Prayers, one for every day of the year. And it's just quick quick little declarations in her memory because that was a moment where I learned something about healing. Healing isn't you get what you want. Healing is that person is now in most alignment as God wants. And that's beyond our understanding sometimes, amen? Here's what I'm noticing about our spirituality as I get ready Um, to move on. We need the kind of spirituality that doesn't just feel good, but we need spirituality that is emotionally healthy. We need spirituality that isn't just about the feels and I got what I wanted today, but we need spirituality that even if people misunderstand us, we're still healthy. Even if our government, something flips and all of a sudden everyone's at odds with each other, we can still hold a true conviction of the scriptures. Even when there's a cultural movement or there's all this tension between people, we can be people that are still emotionally in control. Your emotions are great indicators of what's going on, but they are bad dictators for what you should do. That's a quote right there. Emotions are good indicators. They tell you what's up. But they are bad uh, dictators. They shouldn't tell you where to go. They shouldn't dictate what's next for your life. Church isn't just a place where we come and get checked in and, you know, we check off the box. It's a place where we get whole. And when we realize Jesus died for us, it's so we could find healing and find wholeness. Let's go to the third one. Jesus was struck, very simply, so no one else has to be. Did you know that in the eyes of God, there has been a price that's needed to be paid for thousands of years But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 says this, for God's will was for us to be made holy. God wants to be holy. Do you know that's his will? 
God's desire is for us to be holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all time. No longer are sacrifices needed to get into God's presence. No longer is a religious checklist a requirement to get God to love you. Put your faith in Jesus and that gives you access to a life you never had before. Someone was saying like, man, I, you're, you, know, you really preach the gospel. I know our church is called gospel and I love the gospel. And someone asked me recently, but are we gonna like go on like from the gospel? Like, is there like, like let's get to some deep stuff, you know? And, and there's always room for deep stuff, but there is nothing beyond the gospel for it is the foundation in which everything else is built on. So if we're talking about marriage, it's gonna come to the gospel. If we're talking about finances, surprise, it's gonna come to the gospel. If we're talking about death and grief and the afterlife, spoiler alert, it's gonna come back to the gospel because we should never graduate from something so important. The gospel is the good news because God's will was for us to get back to him. And because of that sacrifice, because he was struck, now we have access. All we got to do is say to him, we want him, and he'll show up. Can I go back to the story here? Uh, Exodus chapter 17, Moses gives them the water. They continue on. Some time goes by, and we pick it up in Numbers chapter 20 now. As I get ready to close, it says in verse 7, and the Lord spoke to Moses, take your staff and assemble the congregation and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So the people come to Moses once, we're thirsty. Moses hits the rock, water comes out. The people come to Moses again in Numbers chapter 20. And they say, we're thirsty. Moses goes to God and he says, guys, God, we're thirsty again. And this time God doesn't tell him to strike the rock. He says, just speak to it. I want you to catch this. He doesn't say just strike it, just speak to it. Because once it's been struck once, it doesn't need to be struck again. Are you seeing Jesus here? When Jesus was killed and sacrificed and crucified for you and I, one time that happened, water came out. Now we can come to him every day and just ask for the living water that he promises. We can come to him and say, Jesus, because you did it once, I have access to you now. But what happens is we get frustrated with God's method. And when God says, you just speak to it now, we show up with our stick anyways. And we say, yeah, yeah, you're taking too long though, God. Yeah, 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 but I can do it better than you can, God. Yeah, my timing's probably better. And we, just like Moses, we disobey. Verse eight says, so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation. Let's go to verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, I want you to hear Moses' frustration. He gathers everybody and he says now, hear now, you rebels. You can tell he's frustrated. You can tell he's out of his element. You can, you can tell his emotions are dictating his words here. He says, hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. Verse 12, and the Lord said to Moses, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So because Moses struck the rock the second time, he didn't get into the promised land. It was that big of a deal. Because sometimes it's not about like your intentions. It's simply about just what did God say to do? 
Jesus has to get struck once for salvation. The moment that you believe in him and then go back to asking as if that didn't happen, the Bible says you strike him again. And then when we come to him and we act as if his salvation wasn't enough the first time, it's like putting him back on the cross all over again. I don't want to do that, friends. That that drives me to recognize that Jesus was struck so that I don't have to be, so that you don't have to be, so no one has to pay that price. That's the beauty of the gospel. So he was struck so we could find salvation. He was struck so we could be whole. He was struck so no one else has to be. And he was struck to open up the way to the Father. Number four, as I close, Jesus was struck to give us access back to the Father. I'm almost done here. Thanks for hanging out today. I was talking to a new Christian recently. And if you're in our church and you recently have given your life to the Lord or you're interested in being a Christian, um, please, like, my door's open, my phone's on. Like, we want to help with some of these questions. I hear sometimes from parents, like, you know, well, my son just, he thinks this, you know, and because of this, he's not coming to church. And in my mind, I'm like, well, that's a, there's a simple answer for that, like, so I don't ever want there to be intimidation where you feel like you can't just come up and say, you know, I don't understand that or I disagree with that. So I was talking to a new Christian and they were saying, where, where do I read the Bible? Where do I start? And I said, well, you should probably read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And then from there, read John 1, 2, and 3. That's, that's always my go-to. If you're here today and you want to start reading your Bible more and you're like, yeah, it's been a while. Genesis 1, first thing tomorrow, let's try it. So in Genesis, we get the story of creation. We get man and woman being made. And you know the story. The Bible says they sin and they take the fruit. God expels them from the garden. Let's pick it up, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim with a uh, flaming sword. So this is an angel with a sword that's on fire guarding the way back into Eden. So they get kicked out of Eden and until Jesus comes, we're trying to get back to Eden. We're trying to get that same fellowship. We want the same thing that Adam and Eve have. That's what we're after. But for thousands of years, every time someone tried to get back into that fellowship, there was a sword waiting. If Adam and Eve were to get out of town and then say, let's see if we can get back into Eden. They snuck back, they would see an angel with a sword. And what God was saying is, you can't get back into my presence until something goes under the sword. You're not going to get access to me again until something is slain. This is why the Bible says that Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Meaning when he died, that sword came down on him and we had access now to the father. That's the good news. It's not, can you be a better person? It's not tell your family they got to stop cussing. That's what Christianity is. No, it's he went under the sword. That means I have to respond. That means I have to say something. That means I can't live life the same way anymore because what he did is something I couldn't do. So I'm grateful. In his ministry, Jesus was often talking to people just like I'm talking to you now, explaining what he's here to do. And in one moment, he says this in John 14, and I'm done. And you know the way to where I'm going. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, I'm getting ready to leave. And they go, where are you going? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says, heaven's like a house in his father's house. There's many rooms. And he goes, I'm going to go prepare it for you. In verse four, and he says, and you know the way that I'm going. 
And Thomas, oh, Thomas comes up and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Verse six, Jesus says, I am the way. He was the only religious teacher in his day, not to just claim to have the way to salvation, but he claimed to be the way to salvation. The prophet Muhammad said he had it. Buddha said he had it. Sikh religion, get into Hinduism, all that. Each of these gods, they, they also kind of say they have the answers for you. Jesus is the only person to make this claim and say, I am the answer. It's through my death, burial, resurrection, and ascension that you find eternity. I am the way. Well, what should I do? Do as I do. Look where I looked. Say what I said. The way to eternity starts with knowing him. And he goes on from there and says, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. We all want life, but we don't experience life until we really know truth. And there's got to be a way to get to that truth. Today, that way is Jesus. If you're looking for water, you know, that kind of refreshing water on a hot day. If you're looking for the supernatural experience in your life, it starts with finding refreshment and joy in the person of Jesus. And I'm taking my time here because a lot of times salvation calls happen so quick and we're like, oh, it's a feeling and I just got to pray it. And yes, okay, I'm ready. Salvation call is not just like in this moment, there you go, you're good now. This is a commitment to a start. You believe in the free gift of grace. You believe in what he's done. But then your life begins. And that's what our church is here for. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we've looked for water in all the wrong places before. But today we stop, we pause, we look back to you. Pray for anyone in the room today that might be weary, might be tired. I thank you that refreshment comes from your presence. Speak life over them today that you're not done with them. In Jesus' name. If you're here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, and you would like to make this a moment. Uh, no one's looking just for a moment of privacy. If you'd like to know the Lord today and you say, would you include me in a prayer to, to know Jesus, to, to be a Christian, to start this life? I want you to lift your hand off the count of three. We never end a service without this because this is what it's all about. If you'd like to know Jesus on the count of three, lift your hand. One, two, three. I see you. God bless you. That's awesome. Wow. God bless you. God, I thank you for the hands that are lifted. Today marks a moment for them, that this would be a moment they recognize your presence, they recognize your value over them, and I pray that they would take a step from this moment to knowing you more in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen and amen and amen.